go ahead and begin. And um, uh, let me open us in a, in a word of prayer. Uh, our Heavenly Father, as we look at the Scriptures, teach us of Thy majesty and greatness, that we might be strengthened in our faith and uh, behold uh, certainly the majesty of Christ, our Redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, okay, so we're looking at the attributes of God. Um, we know God is the Spirit. Uh, we know in the grace of God, um, Jesus, who was a spirit, took upon human nature. So he has, uh, he's one person, but has two natures, uh, human and divine. And uh, he, re he remains that way perpetually, even now, uh, uh, two natures, glorified nature because of the resurrection. Uh, but the importance of the attributes, uh, and I think it was R.C. Sproul that um, taught on this issue, is to be very, very, very careful of addition and subtraction when it comes to the attributes of God. Because each person of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, um, have all the same attributes. Um, uh, you know, one uh, isn't minus a few. Uh, they all have the same. And if you subtract any of the attributes, in particular from the sun, which is the nature of the cults, uh, you are you are redefining who God is. Okay, and it's essential to understand. So you can't add and you can't subtract uh, because each each person of the Godhead uh, is is God. So this morning, we're looking at the knowledge of God, um, uh, the foreknowledge of God, and the supremacy of God. That's kind of where we are. And just as your assignment uh, next week uh, will be sovereignty, immutability, and holiness. Okay, so we'll look at three more. So that's kind of where, you, where we are. Um, and uh, remember... Uh, Peak is a fairly easy read. It's good to read what other people have to say, but you, you really should have your Bible out in front of you because what Peak is saying is, uh, you know, only points to the Scripture. It's a Scripture that's our final authority. So uh, we have to go there. So let's look at the knowledge of God. Um, um, we say that God is omniscient. Uh, he has all knowledge. Uh, he has all knowledge of everything actual and possible. Um, I believe he has all knowledge of everything actual and possible because he's decreed everything. And when God decrees everything, it's going to happen because he's God. If it doesn't happen, you know, then he's just like you and me because we, we, we decree things, we plan things, and yet in final analysis, we have minimal control over what we plan. Um, Hopefully our plans will come to pass, but they uh, always do not. So he wills and decrees everything that is actual and rejects all possibilities that are not consistent with the perfections of his nature. So uh, he knows everything that could possibly be, but he decrees what is greatest to uh, exalt who he is. Yeah. Um, so let's look at uh, let's look at some texts. We're only going to look at uh, two, because I want to spend more time uh, on four knowledge. But turn with me, if you would, in your Old Testament uh, to Psalm 139. 
this is David's um, uh, testimony uh, uh, indirectly of his understanding of the knowledge of God as being omniscient. Um, so let's, I mean, let's look at, um, you know, read the first four verses. Um, o Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You know, pardon me, uh, you understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Uh, verse 5, you have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it's too high, I cannot uh, attain to it. Uh, if, if you look, for example, at, at, uh, at, at verse 2, uh, there's a figure of speech here. Uh, in the Hebrew Bible, the technical word is called merism. Merism deposits two extremes, but it really means everything in between the extremes. So when, when David says, you know when I sit down, when I rise up, it means he knows everything in between those two events. Um, um, because he knows everything. He's omniscient. Uh, so... Um, um, I think there is a something of a text there of of uh, of uh, God's omniscience because David is certainly proclaiming it. He's proclaiming it that God knows everything about him before he even does any of it. He knows everything. He knows what David's going to do. So um, Proverbs fifteen three. Um, it's another. Um, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Yeah. Well, God is, uh, God is uh, certainly an observer, but he's an observer because he, he, he decrees all things. Uh, it's very difficult theology, but you have to just kind of work your way through it um, uh, as a testimony to who God is. Um, uh, so um, our, our confession here is that God is, uh, God is omniscient. And this brings us to uh, the next chapter in pink, foreknowledge. Uh, as in all the attributes, as in all of Scripture, there's always controversy. So, um, I spent a little bit of time on the controversy here uh, because it relates particularly to the Reformed faith. Uh, the word foreknowledge is not used in the Old Testament, uh, but it comes from the uh, verb knowledge, or particularly the verb to know. And when you look on occasion, uh, when know is used of the relationship, say between a husband and wife, it's of the intimacy of that relationship. Uh, you know, when we read in the Old Testament that Adam knew Eve, or Abraham knew Sarah, it's obviously a, a you know, very intimate relationship uh, of, their, of their union. Um, and so it, it speaks, I think, to a measure of love, uh, the intimacy of love. And I think ultimately it really speaks to, in a measure, of God's love for us. Okay? Um, um, but uh, 
But what I am suggesting is when it's used in connection with God, it's not a term of cognition. We know God knows everything, but in terms of his relationship with us, it's not a term of bare cognition. It's a term of affection. So, so let's just look again. It's not the word foreknowledge. Let's look at um, Jeremiah chapter 1 uh, and verse 5. It's important, I think, to see this in Jeremiah's life because God's going to lay upon him a very, very difficult ministry. Uh, Jeremiah is sometimes known as the suffering uh, prophet uh, because all the suffering he goes through in testifying uh, to his countrymen. Uh, but Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, before, so God is saying uh, to the prophet, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Okay. So, uh, so before Jeremiah's mother was carrying him, God had a special intimate relationship with the prophet. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Okay. Um, he, he set him apart for his mission. And I've appointed you a prophet to the nation. Okay? So I'm just saying that there's a measure of intimacy. Uh, and um, um, I, I take it in God's relationship with us that uh, he loved us in eternity past and granted us union with his son. Okay? Now when we, come to the, when we come to the New Testament, the word foreknowledge uh, is used four times. Okay. Uh, and this is the controversy I want to introduce to you. Um, uh, when, I, when I started our class, I talked about competing systems of theology and how I believe that the reform position was consistent theism. So we're moving on this spectrum. Uh, very popular system of theology that really kind of owns uh, much of the church today is uh, uh, Arminianism. And uh, in, in Arminianism, um, uh, they believe in the doctrine of election, uh, but um, foreknowledge to them is the cause. God looks down the corridors of history, sees who's going to choose Jesus, and elects them. Okay, that's simply their their view of the doctrine of election and their understanding is foreknowledge. God foreknows what we're going to do. And because he sees that we're going to choose him, uh, he elects us. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of difficult, for example, when you're reading um, Ephesians chapter 1, where uh, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Okay, so before we were even born, that's kind of difficult to hold in terms of Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 uh, because he set him apart to be a prophet uh, before he was being formed in the womb of his mother. So, uh, um, um, so, so essentially the Arminian view is that God is foreknowing acts and he's passive in that and then when he sees the acts, he... You know, he, he acts. Um, okay. So, um, uh, his acts are uh, rooted in their acts. Okay. So, um, let's, you know, so how do we solve this, if you will, conundrum? 
I mean, who's correct? I mean, is the Reformed position correct that before we were even born, God chose us uh, in, in Christ? Or is God uh, foresees what we're going to do and then uh, elects us based on that? Again, uh, we should think systemically about this because it is important for us to recognize this God is omniscient, and He is. Um, God doesn't learn. God never learns. Okay, you and I have to learn. God doesn't learn. He knows everything. Okay, remember what I said of His omniscience. He knows everything actual and possible. So God, if you know, you and I learn. God doesn't learn. If God learned, then He's like us. Then He's not God. You know, He's Superman or Wonder Woman or whatever. Uh, he's you know, so God. God doesn't learn. Um, he simply knows. And and with respect to us, the relationship is very powerful because I believe God foreloved us before the foundation of the world. Um, um, very very important. I think for young people in particular to grasp that because young people are searching for significance and meaning and purpose. I believe that as Christians in the Reformed faith, we have meaning and purpose in life and significance in life because God, because of God. He's our Heavenly Father. Uh, he doesn't make mistakes. Um, he, he is our significance. Uh, but our culture is effacing God, trying to erase God. So young people don't have that sense of significance. Uh, they don't have the sense of belonging. Uh, they don't have meaning and purpose. Uh, I mean, you ask yourself, why, why are suicides uh, on the rise in our culture? Because people lack that, among other things. Uh, not, uh, so let's turn to the, uh, again, uh, in the New Testament, Foreknowledge is used um, four times. Um, and I'm going to deposit to you my theory uh, before we look at the text so you'll know where I'm going. Uh, it's never used in Scripture in connection with um, events or actions. Okay. Um, uh, it always has reference to persons. Okay. Uh, so, so as God foreknows, being a term of relationship to a person. So let's turn to um, Acts chapter 2. Scripture is the final authority. And um, uh, Acts chapter 2 um, and verse 23. This man, reference to Christ. Well, let's just read 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene. A man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men who put him to death. Okay? I'm suggesting to you uh, God's not knowing events here. He has a special relationship with the eternal Son. This man, okay. predetermined plan, uh, God, e in eternity past, um, sin comes into the Garden of Eden. There has to be salvation. Christ is the only salvation. 
So it was predetermined that God the Son would become incarnate and go on the cross, pay the penalty, um, suffer crucifixion. In his humanity, suffer death. His deity never, never suffered death because deity can't die. Okay, remember, deity cannot change. But in his humanity, he died. He was buried, rose again. In his humanity, he conquers death. Um, so God had a special, intimate relationship with his son. Yeah. Just the unity of the triune Godhead. Um, you know, verse 24, And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. So, um, I'm, I'm just suggesting that in Acts chapter 2, 23, it's, it's foreknowledge is the relationship that God had with his eternal son. A special relationship. A relationship of, of a God the Father with God the Son and God the Spirit. Okay, let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Um, so let's look at, look at verse 28 and read through verse 30. And again, remember my theory, quote-unquote, that it's not events that's God's foreknowing, it's people. Special relationship with people. That was the case in Acts 2, God the Son. Now, it's true of us. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Notice the eternal purpose of God. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformant to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Notice verse 29. Whom, not what. Okay. It's a person, in our case, the church, us, who know, who've been called according to the eternal purposes of God. Well, it's not what God, but it's who God foreknew. And look at the special relationship. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So it's a, it's a term to me of relationship. Uh, let's turn to Romans 11.2. This is the third. It's only used, four nouns only used three times, uh, four times. Here, here's the third. Um, so the, the context here is, um, well, what about Israel? We know from uh, Romans 9 to 11 that God is going to continue to save uh, Jews. Um, um, I don't. I don't believe that there's nationalistic purposes to the nation of Israel. A lot of people do, but I do believe God's going to continue to save Jews. Okay. Um, so let's let's look at this. Uh, let's just read. Uh, let's read um, verses one to three. I say then, God has not rejected His people, has He? May never be. 
For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Notice not what, but who. Who he foreknew. Well, do you not know the scripture says in a passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed thy prophets and they have torn down thine altars and I alone have left and they're seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed down, uh, not bowed the knee to Baal. So it's not, it's going to save the entire nation. He has a remnant within the nation, in this case 7,000, probably a symbolic number, uh, who have not committed idolatry, who have remained true in their loyalty to God. So it's not, but again, it's not what, it's who. In fact, the, the text in Romans 8 is clear, whom he foreknew, and, uh, um, here it's clear, whom he foreknew. So God had a special relationship with the prophet um, um, Elijah, and he's complaining, God, I'm, on, I'm, I'm the only one that's been faithful. God says, no, no, you're not the only one. I have 7,000. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, special relationship. I reminded to us that God keeps his own. He loves his own from eternity past. He loves them in the present by sending Christ to save them. He loves them by sending his spirit to apply that redemption to their lives. And he loves us each and every day of, of, of our lives. Uh, um, and, and he keeps his own. Okay, He doesn't forget his own. He keeps us and preserves us. We'll see us to the end. Uh, 1 Peter 1-2. It's the last time, only four times. Uh, so, First Peter chapter one. Read verses one and two. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered about Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. Okay. So there's a reference there to the elect. Who are the elect? So we know immediately in the context there's a reference to a, if you will, special class of people, the elect of God. Who are chosen? Chosen to what? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Um, so it's not what, it's who, the the chosen, the elect. Okay. So foreknowledge is God is not God foreknowing events and then doing something about it. Uh, it's who He foreknows, His His elect, and they are uh, they're they're special, not in and of themselves. They're special because of their relationship with God. Uh, so again, let me deposit what what Pink is saying. The fact is that foreknowledge is never used in Scripture in connection with events or actions. Instead, it always has reference to persons. Therefore, it's not what God foreknew, but whom he foreknew. Okay. Um, and foreknowledge is not causative. The decrees of God and the grace of God are causal events. Uh, so, uh, yeah. it's just, I think, that's my, my understanding. The Reformed, this is universally held in the Reformed Church. 
that uh, God doesn't foreknow actions. He foreknows people because of his love for us. Remember, it has a connection. The word foreknowledge, compound word, the verb to know in the Old Testament, very explicit, you can see it's a term of intimacy and love. So this brings us to the supremacy of God. Um, um, Supremacy uh, speaks to to position. It's God's position. It's the position that God occupies over the entire created order. it is related, as you know, to his uniqueness. I mean, we looked at some verses last week where God says, there's none like me. None. There are no gods like me. I'm the only one that's the true God. Okay? There's lots of counterfeits in life. Lots of counterfeits in religion, by the way. Satan is the master counterfeiter. Okay? Master counterfeiter. If you don't know your theology, you can get you can get in trouble with his counterfeits. Because counterfeits always have a measure of the truth. Okay? A counterfeit dollar bill uh, has a measure of what a real dollar bill looks like, but it's fake. And it's, you know, if a teller at a bank knows what they're doing, they won't accept it. Okay? Well, God doesn't accept counterfeits either. But I just want you to know. That Satan is the master counterfeiter. That's why there's all the religions of the world. Competing religions. Okay? None, none, none like our God. Um, so, uh, in my view, God is king over everything. He has a universal dominion over everyone and everything. Persons, events, places, and time. Because he's king over everyone. Um, He has precepts that he gives to us in scripture. Those precepts can be violated. They're violated all the time. But he also has decrees that cannot be violated because once he decrees things, it's going to happen. He is gracious to us in giving to us precepts so that we can learn the way of salvation. Men reject them all the time. Hopefully, uh, you've accepted them. Precepts that there's salvation only in Christ and in no one else. Uh, You you recall the words of Luke in the book of Acts. There's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. No other name. Okay? Only his name. So, um, so, Let's um, let's look at some texts, you know, rightfully so. First Chronicles. Look at some Old Testament texts, and then we'll look at a couple of um, New Testament. Um, First Chronicles twenty nine, um, eleven. So, um, well, I mean, let's kind of read a little bit of the context. Verse 10, we'll read 
Um, First Chronicles, chapter 29. Yeah, sorry. Look at verse, verse 10 through um, well, 13. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed art thou, O Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, thine is the dominion, O Lord, and thou dost exalt thyself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from thee, and thou dost rule over all. And in thy hand is power and might, and it lies in thy hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. Okay? So again, supremacy is certainly documented when David said, thine is the dominion. God has dominion over everything. Okay? Um, uh, now, he gives a measure of that dominion. He gave a measure, as you know, that dominion to Adam. So, so Adam, you're going to be my vice regent on the earth. You name all the animals. So that, uh, same thing with Noah, so that they had dominion over the animal kingdom. Yeah. Adam falls. Uh, Noah, in a wake, falls. Um, oh, that's not going to stop God. Uh, even though Adam and Noah were the sons of God, they mess things up as we oftentimes mess things up in our lives. God has a last Adam, doesn't he? Who is Christ. He messes nothing up. <laughs> He's going to perform. He's going to keep. He's going to affect. And, and that dominion is given to him. Okay? So first Adam, he fails. Last Adam, Christ, doesn't fail. And that's the theology of Paul and you know, say Romans and Corinthians. So let's look at Second Chronicles. So just one one book over, chapter twenty, uh, verse six. Okay. Um, oh, I mean, we'll 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 read verses five and six. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, and the house of the Lord before the new the new court, and he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, art thou not God in the heavens, and art thou not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in thy hand, so that no one can stand against you. Okay? The supremacy of God, the dominion of God. Um, let's turn to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. So, context here is uh, a vision um, Daniel has. Let's read verses 13 and 14. And I kept looking in the night vision, behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, so the Ancient of Days is giving to one like a son of man. And to him was given dominion, 
glory and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Okay. Well, who's, who's the son of man? For instance, when you read the New Testament, as I know you do, I hope you do, our Lord's favorite designation of himself is, I am the son of man. He's telling everyone who's listening to him what Daniel the prophet was speaking of in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 14. I am he. Okay? By the way, how the Jews respond? They pick up, they pick up rocks to stone. Because they knew what he was saying and they did, they rejected it. Okay? So, it's our Lord's favorite designation of himself. And uh, his kingdom is not going to be destroyed. So it's a beautiful testimony of the majesty of Christ as the Son of Man. Uh, let's look at um, let's look at a couple of New Testament texts. Um, uh, Ephesians. Let's look at Romans first. Romans eleven thirty six. You know, Paul here is, I mean, he's concluding his chapter, his paragraph over his dealing with the nation of Israel and God's sovereignty in saving the elect from among the nation. Uh, and um, uh, he, he begins to praise God. I'm, I'm going to read 33 to 36 as I speak to uh, the majesty of God. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. The supremacy of God. Okay? The majesty of God. Um, let's turn to Ephesians. So. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. I think we've read this before, but uh, also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Well, those are the decrees of God. God works, he decrees all things, he's going to set all things in motion to save his church. He works all things after the counsel of his will. And by the way, in our lives, if we know him personally through Christ our Savior, he works all things according to good, for our good, for those who love God and are called, called according to his purpose. Okay? I mean, bad things happen to us, right? Uh, if they happen, if they haven't, they will. <laughs> you know, I I'm, not, I'm not a prophet. But, you know, it's just the way it is. We live in a fallen world. We're subject to that fall. So we're going to decay and suffer problems. God works it all for our good. Why is that? Because He loved us in eternity past. Chose us in Him to be His sons and daughters. Okay. Um, let's turn to Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. 
So last book of the Bible, fairly easy to find. And again, I'm relating this to the supremacy, dominion of the Godhead. Um, context is, well, we will, we'll read four through six, just to, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, So that dominion has been given from God the Father to God the Son. He's ruler of the kings of the earth. Okay? Meaning he rules over everything. If he rules over the kings, he rules over their, their subjects. But, uh, it's a majesty of, majesty of, uh, God. Um, um, so, uh, we've looked at, um, Three issues uh, this morning, knowledge, foreknowledge, and the supremacy of God. Um, I've, I've tried to establish, and you, know, you just have to work it out in your own mind, as you reread these verses, and other verses that Pink uses, I'm just picking a few, uh, to establish that uh, there's, there's only one God, He's totally unique, and He rules over everyone and everything. And so he, he is supreme. And uh, he brooks no competition uh, in your life. He do, you are not to share your affections with any other God or caricature of God. Okay? Why can I say that? Because of his sovereign supremacy. Okay? Um, and, and again, that he has... He has he has no competitors. So it's, you know, you, you owe him your love and affection, particularly if he sent his son to, uh, to, you know, to purchase you. Um, any, any questions? We covered a lot of ground, but anybody have any questions or? Anybody ever think about the relationship uh, between this and, uh, say, evil, presence of evil? God is sovereign over that too. Okay, it's, it's you know God knows what He's doing. He's He's sovereign. He's decreed. Uh, the question is: Yes, there's evil. The beauty for us is how does God answers it? How does God answer it? By His Son. That's His answer. No one else has an answer. Everyone had. I mean, there's philosophers all over the world, and they're academy and blah, 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 and everyone has all the answers. You and I have the real answer. The answer is his son. You want an answer to evil? You know, why was I, why was I in this car wreck? Why did this happen to me? Why did my wife get two forms of cancer? The answer is Christ. Yeah, if you know him, he works all things, <laughs> he works all things to good. For those who loved him, recall to his purpose. Yeah, so. Uh, 
Don't, don't forget that. He has answered you. He's answered the deepest philosophical issues of your life in His Son, Christ. So, um, so next week, um, sovereignty, immutability, and holiness. These are great. I don't know that sovereignty is an attribute, but uh, Pink obviously thinks of it as such, but um, certainly immutability and holiness are. Remember our connection. It's an ancient connection with the Reformed faith. 16, I mean, let's just go back very quickly to the 16th century. The Puritans, God is a spirit. Okay? Uh, that's how they understood God. God's a spirit. And he is spirit. The Son is incarnate, but he was a spirit too. Infinite, holy, unchangeable in his nature, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. The Puritans grasped at the attributes of God to help them understand who God was. But it's not the 16th century. That's the theology of the whole scriptures. I mean, we looked at Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, it's certainly uh, dominant in uh, the book of Acts, you know, as the church is being, New Testament church being formed, is dominant. I mean, so we don't just go back to 16th century. Where are we tracing everything from? The scriptures. Okay, the scriptures. Okay, so. Uh, so, so continue your reading. We'll, we'll cover three more next week. Um, I know we're going fast, but I'm kind of looking to you as you read the chapters. You can go slow. Um, look at the verses. They're, you know, critically important. Um, cause it's, we're not imposing our theology on the text. We're, we're pulling our theology out of the text and unifying it under the attributes of God. Okay, so let's uh, let's close in a in a word of prayer. Uh, our Father, we're humbled as we rightfully should be, uh, in light of there is but one God who condescended in one eternal Son to affect our salvation. And that condescension is the very basis of the fact that we have eternal life. Uh, help us, Lord, to find significance, hope, meaning, and purpose in the great reality that we have a relationship with the eternal God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And may we be blessed in that, in this world that's fallen and broken and that has no hope. Uh, if it is without Christ. And uh, may, we, may we know and learn and appreciate that we are the sons of the one true God and therefore special as sons uh, because of Christ and that we were in him before the foundation of the world. And it's in his name that we pray, uh, namely Christ Jesus our Savior. Amen.